Craig Wilson of the Peter Westblade Memorial Merino Challenge wanted us to interview a giant of the wool industry, a man at the centre of Australian agriculture for many years. And so today, on The Yarn, we do just that. Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So today we hear from Ian McLaughlin, who was made an Officer of the Order of Australia in 1989 for service to primary industry. He's known in a wool context as Chairman of Australian Wool Innovation from 2002 to 2008, and prior to this he was author of the Wool Task Force Report post the Reserve Price Scheme, and is of course from a very well-known South Australian pastoral family. Former President of the National Farmers Federation and Federal Member of Parliament and Defence Minister. But for today's purpose, I caught up with Ian regarding his love of wool and the Australian outback. Now, I have to apologise for the quality of audio here. It is the first and last time I'll be conducting an interview in a cafe. Anyway, here is my chat with Ian McLaughlin, who started by talking about the importance of innovation through the entire wool supply chain. I mean... On the subject of wool, though, I mean, organisations like AWR, IR, are absolutely vital. And I'm, I'm all for, you know, paying the, paying the 2% or 1.5% or whatever is going to be forever because innovation, you've got to be innovating all the time. All the rest of it, um, you know, some good things being done. Product itself has changed monumentally. I mean, you know, when I was jackarooing, I, so I think I told you one day, I think the wool that we were shearing was 29 microns. And I won't tell you what blood it was, but it was South Australian blood and it was big. 29, and it was a, this is from a merino. You bet. Yeah. But, 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 a, but a, an awful lot of. You know, not a high comfort factor. English background in the merino. Um, not, a, not a high comfort factor. But big cuts, big wrinkles, big sheep. Uh, but now, you know, the wool you see coming off most people's sheep today is nice colour, it's around 20 and a half microns or down, 21 perhaps most. In fact, it's hard to buy rams of 22 microns these days, all the way down to 15, 16, and as the younger sheep, as you get through your younger sheep, they're finer. So you've got a nice, you've got a nice smooth skin on them, and you've got a nice carcass. If you want to buy it, you can buy merinos with a nice carcass that can hang up and walk. You've got two products, two very valuable products going alongside one another. I don't remember the time. No, no, it's easy to look back from now. I don't remember a time when you had two such excellent products on the same animal. Let's hear a bit about your wool growing operation. What excites you about it and uh, where have you taken it? Well, we bought a place uh, 40 years ago. 50 miles west of Hay uh, on the Lachlan River and we've managed to expand that so it's now a bit over two and a half times the size. It's rained less now than it did in those days but it's quite surprising for a South Australian to have a river going past you know. I have to tell you we don't have rivers we've only got one. So it's a lovely operation we've worked on the sheep there for 30 years. And, and how have they changed in that uh, in that Three decades. Oh, well, like we started with South Australia. We started with South Australia blood, and the biggest difficulty was to crack that that uh, cross-fibred, uh, yellowy uh, South Australian wool, which which was very hard to change, very hard to change. 
you couldn't you couldn't get the the, the condition right. You couldn't. It always kept the Lincoln. I think there was so much Lincoln in the South Australians, and my, and my mother's family were Murrays, and so they must have been in the big Lincoln business, Lincoln Merino Crossing in the early days. It was very difficult to get that out and still retain frame and 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 constitution. But in the end. Uh, a lot of people have been at it. A lot of people have been trying, and we've been our own. We don't sell any, and it's kind of going pretty well. So that holy grail, if you like, of a big South Australian frame, but with uh, finer wool on it and bright wool and soft wool. Yep. And uh, but 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 when I when you say the big South Australian frame, I don't think they're as big as they used to be. And I don't think they need to be as big as they used to be because when you think about the weather, the merino weather now, it needs to be able to be hung up on a hook mm. before the tooth is. Unless someone changes the wood. So that, that doesn't have to be the greatest, biggest, longest sheep. It has to be a tidy sheep with good backside, rounded sheep, with, and, and it can be shorn easily without shearing cuts. And, you know, I, I must say I'm impressed by the sheep that that everybody seems to be growing these days right through New South Wales and, and, and Victoria and, and, and then uh, in the last 15 to 20 years the South Australians have, have, have managed to get break that rather rough cross fibery stuff we had over there. So the, the ewe that you're producing um, in New South on your New South Wales property is is uh, is just a set of sixty five or sixty kilograms. Uh, what's no, she be sixty? She be sixty. Uh, she's sixty plus. In a good season, and she's uh, twenty one microns, twenty one point three or four microns. Uh, her the the hoggets will be nineteen. Uh, this year they'll be eighteen, but normally they'd be eighteen and a half, nineteen, which we like, and lambs will like that. So you know that's that's a nice thing. Um, you know, look, in good seasons, if it rains before lambing and we lamb in, in May, June, as long as you've got a green pick out there, that just greenish, you should get 100% of the maidens, 115% in, in the three-year-olds, 120-odd% in the four-year-olds, and 130 plus in the five-year-olds. Now that means you've got to have no pigs, no, no foxes, and you've got to have a bit of green grass stuff. And, and then we can go up from there. We can go up from there because people doing, these stud guys doing a great job today. So from your time at Australian Wool Innovation, what, uh, do you think it's, how do you think it's going now and what do you think your legacy was? I mean, you had uh, some pretty interesting years in there. I think it's going okay. I think um, you, you, need, you need to have an organisation that is looking to to innovate. I mean, whatever the, the, the next technical breakthroughs are, you know, we robotic shearing, I don't know. The problem with all of this stuff is you've got to get the animal into a position, not just a hundred in the local county, but thousands of them. And you've got to do it in a few days, a week or two. You've got to get the animal in a position where a machine can actually, or something can take that to life. And and I know all sorts of people say, oh, I can do that, I can do that. But, it, but it, it doesn't work in big numbers. You can't have your animals hanging around a, a shed in the middle of, uh, you know, West, Westerville Canyon or out 
Western Port Augusta. They've got to be back in the paddock as fast as possible. So some of those sorts of things, I think, I think people, farmers are learning very fast that they've done it for years, but are learning very fast to look after their own animals in a very efficient way. It's these technical things that they can't quite solve that the AWIs of this world need to do. So robotic shearing and uh, well, finding a solution to mule thing is uh, the when, two When I say big robotic, ones. a way of getting the wool on the sheep. Mm. Um, look, the shearers are doing a great job at the moment. And look, there'll be plenty of shearers around. In the end, you've got to be working on other systems as well. And, and the mule things. The mule thing, get clean up the back end of a sheep so that the complainers have got nothing to complain about. And speaking of complainers, we do seem to have an increasing number of uh, activists. There's sort of a social movement against farming at the moment, which farmers are reacting in many different ways to. You're at the absolute forefront of this in 2004. What are your thoughts on how we combat radical animal activists? I'll, I'll never forget this. I was asked to make a speech once the RSPCA many years ago, so I said, look, I've got to deal with these feral animals. They're everywhere. And the president got up afterwards and said, I was wrong. Absolutely wrong. It's cruel to deal with the rabbits. Cruel to deal with foxes. Cruel to do this and that. I mean, and, 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 and no idea of the, of the local animal, bird, reptile, number of Australians eaten every day by these and killed by these feral animals that we've imported. And if you don't under, if they don't understand that then you it's very difficult. So you, you've got to have a, a message to everybody that can be understood that there's a much bigger issue created by these imports. And that's the Australian wildlife which is disappearing at a great rate. Cats, foxes donkeys, camels, gone over everywhere, all over the place. They've got to, they, uh, we don't deal with them. I must say, they are starting to get some big efforts on people, which is great. But cats are very difficult. And and they just kill bird life, reptilian, reptilian life, all over this country. Do you see the animal activists, um, I mean, you, you've, you've confronted uh, and beaten unions through the law? Is this something that perhaps should be done through the law because uh, that was tried and didn't necessarily work? How do we keep the general population in Australia, the voting population, on our side and not influenced by the activists? Because that's what they're trying to do. I think it's very difficult. And the reason I say it's difficult is that the Eastern Seaboard has the votes. They don't travel out here. They nomads do. But no one else. I mean, who knows? Who knows from the Eastern Seaboard where have all those votes? Most of the politicians don't know anything about wildlife. They don't know anything about replanting or natural revegetation systems or anything. And so that's a very great difficulty. So that's why you need organisations like National Farmers Federation, even AWL and other people, thinking up clever ways to make people aware of what we're losing. So telling the farming story as part of the Australian culture, is that what you're saying? Or? Yeah, and what, what, well, why do, we, why, do we need, why do we need to get rid of 
feral animals because they're, they're eating everything that, that's Australian. I mean, if we're not building a house on it, we're either powering it up or we're letting a feral animal eat it. Well, I suppose Ingrid Newkirk would say that the, the, you know, the, sheep, the sheep is not a native animal and it shouldn't be. I suppose that's their yeah, extreme broad point of view. Correct, but it's under control. These other ones aren't under control. No, so I meant the same applies to all these animals that are out of control. We've got to have a way of controlling the imports that are eating our natural Australiana. You know, there's some great farmers in this country and they're producing more off the same ground. And of course there's a great message about wool and and revegetation in there as well. So there's well, a, well, the look, two aren't... Uh, look what's happened to the sheep in the last 25 years. It's a much more valuable piece of and, and I have to say, the cattle as well have done extremely well. Um, and that's innovation, knowledge, improvement. And, uh, I wouldn't like to be running around running. I wouldn't like to have the sheep we had 40 years ago and our property today. We wouldn't be able to sell them. <laughs> well, we'd better um, finish up because your time is uh, valuable and you've got to get going. But it sounds like uh, you're very optimistic for where the Australian sheep industry is right I now. I am. I've never seen it in better. I've never seen it. Uh, you know, I've never seen a position where the animal can do this more than one thing at a time. And is and is. I won't say there's nothing wrong with the product. We all like to have product more perfect, but. It's a very, they're both very good, the meat and the wool side. Fine, the wool is fine today by old fashioned standards. It's, it's, it's the right type. It's, uh, it's useful for all sorts of things. It's got rid of the prickly prickle factor and all that stuff. And um, all, all we need is rain. Well, uh, Ian McLaughlin, thank you very much for um, your valuable time today. And yeah, thanks for having a yarn. Thanks, Marius. I have to say, I, uh, if there's anything I love more than anything else, it's the Australian outback. So I would like to see it flourish again. The only way that can happen is uh, some good stuff from there and some good sense from governments as well. Ian McLaughlin there, former Australian Wool Innovation Chairman, politician, farming leader and now wildlife photographer. And thankfully... In many parts of Australia it is raining. Uh, there are certainly many parts that still need a good drink, but we thank Ian McLaughlin for his time. And that interview was a request from Craig Wilson. So if you have any requests for subjects or interviews to be covered here on The Yarn, send them through to theyarn at wool.com. You can also follow Wool Innovation on Facebook or Twitter and Beyond the Bale on Instagram. So again, from me, Marius Cumming, look, thank you very much for your company today and your patience through that audio. Uh, Thanks for your company on the yarn, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.